0: Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me your host Chloe Timms. This week I'm talking to Laura Price about her contemporary fiction debut Single Bald Female. Laura is a multilingual journalist, podcast host, novelist and proud Yorkshire woman. In this episode we discuss how her novel balances the realities of living with cancer and humour, how to use feedback to improve your next draft and how to cope when your book doesn't sell. But first, here's Laura with an excerpt from Single Bald Female. So this, part,
1: this reading is from uh, quite far on in the book, um, but it's not a spoiler because the book is called Single Bald Female, and we know that Jess, the main character, becomes single and starts dating with a bald head. So this um, is a dating profile that she writes um, Online. Hi there, I'm Jess. Thanks for clicking on my profile. I'm guessing either you're into bald chicks or you're just curious. Whatever works for you. So I could write the usual glossy spiel about how I'm some beautiful, funny, well travelled, intelligent woman seeking down to earth, hilarious guy for in depth conversations, a nice glass of wine, and absolutely no pressure for a relationship. But there'd be a hefty disclaimer. I was diagnosed with breast cancer two months ago and I'm soon to be a wonky boobed wonder. I'm also bald as a baby and just out of a long-term relationship. Oh, and I don't know if I'll be able to have kids. Still with me? Okay, well, I'm just plain old Jess, hoping my hair will grow back luscious and thick a la Meghan Markle, except ginger. Did I mention I'm ginger? I love food, but I hate the word foodie and I'm not quite ready to embrace veganism yet. My pet hate is the word lol, so if you use it, chances are I won't reply, lol. I don't really know what I'm looking for right now, except that I'd like to go on a few dates with someone funny and kind who doesn't mind me being bald for a while. I've put a selection of photos on here, some were taken today, the others from when I was younger and hotter, and had eyebrows. Hope to hear from you, Jess. Kiss. I read the profile to Annabelle. It feels good to write something real, something totally honest. It's an exercise in what would you do if you weren't afraid. Do I sound like I love myself, I say, spinning the MacBook around and sliding it across the kitchen table towards her. Nah, she says, you're saying you have cancer and you don't give a fuck. Guys will love that. You don't think I should sound a bit more humble? Trust me, guys want a girl they can take care of. But they also want someone sexy and confident who has her shit together. You're ticking all the boxes. You really think it will work? Of course it will bloody work. Annabelle laughs, passing the laptop back to me. Any guy would be lucky to have you and if they're put off by the bald thing then they're not right for you anyway. I take a deep breath and hit submit. Congratulations, your profile will be reviewed by our team within 24 hours. Happy dating!
0: Hi Laura, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here to talk about single bald female. We've done events and stuff together but it's nice to talk one-on-one with you today.
1: Hi, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me. I'm overjoyed to finally be able to be on your amazing podcast. Thank
0: you. So can you start by telling us what Single Bald Female is about?
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, you probably got a good idea from that uh, little excerpt that I read out. But Single Bald Female is about Jess, a young magazine journalist who is diagnosed with breast cancer at the same time as going through a breakup. And she plunges herself into the world of online dating with a bald head but it's not just about dating. It's about friendship and family and love and all the things she goes through and how that breast cancer diagnosis also inspires her to change some of the things in her career and kind of follow her dreams.
0: Every time I'm telling people about this book, I'm like, it's one of the most uplifting books I've read this year. And it's so, I'm obviously it's got an emotional side to it as well, but it's it's such a funny book. And I think it covers all the bases of I guess, what being a millennial woman is like. So your, I guess the book started in a way with partly inspired by your own experiences with breast cancer. So can you tell us how you used your own experiences, but also kind of went off on your own path to write this novel, which is obviously completely fictional?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for saying that. I I really want people to know that this is an uplifting book, because even though it deals with a very difficult subject that is cancer it does aim to sort of be uplifting and hopeful and, and funny as well so I'm really happy that you got that. Um, so I was diagnosed with breast cancer 10 years ago when I was 29. Um, went through successful treatment and I was I was actually single at the time and a year later I decided to start dating but I didn't really know how to list myself on um, a dating profile So I actually wrote a a blog post for the Huffington Post in, I think, early 2013, um, the title of which was Single Bald Female Seeks. And it was about that process that I went through of listing myself with a bald head and deciding to go for the honest approach and the kind of positive responses that that got me. And a few years after that, I'd always wanted to write a novel, as we all have. And I thought, you know what, single born female is a really good name for a book. And I thought that I could find something positive and funny from the cancer experience by writing about dating and the, the way um, the cancer experience can be very different for a young woman versus, you know, the uh, we often hear about older women having breast cancer, but there are lots of different things um, that it affects in young women um, who are pre-menopausal, such as fertility and you know, how you tell future boyfriends and partners about, about what's wrong with you. So that's where the inspiration for the book came about. Um, but I wanted to create this life for Jess that was different from mine. So all of her relationships are different from mine. I think the main part of it that's inspired by my experience is the, the actual breast cancer experience that she goes through. Because, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't make that up if I hadn't been through it. But um, in the book, Jess has lost her mother. Um, fortunately my mum is still alive and well and um, she she has a different career from me and she I think the main storyline really is that she makes a friend in the hospital Annabelle. Um, that character is completely fictional and I think she's probably the perhaps the friend we'd all like to have.
0: I think there's a tendency particularly with first-time writers that people think your main character is you, and your book is you, and perhaps your own opinions, and I think it's probably difficult for you, the fact that you have had similar experiences to Jess, but obviously it's not your life, and um, yeah, I, I guess you'll probably... But when people read it, you're probably, you're probably sick of people thinking that it is you, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I think when people read it, they'll realise it's a novel and it's not a memoir about my life, especially the people who know me well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously, I do understand that people will draw some comparisons. Um, but yeah, can't help that really.
0: We've mentioned obviously that it's it's a moving book and it's a, a very honest book, but it's incredibly funny. And I mentioned to to you before that when we've done events together i've heard you read the same extract several times and it still makes me laugh so was it difficult for you to balance that that humour side but also the kind of harsh realities of living with cancer as well
1: um i think yes and no i think the although cancer is obviously the most horrible subject i think humour comes naturally with it because there're just so many things when you're going through cancer treatment or perhaps even any illness that that you know are just unavoidably funny like Mm. constipation and um just the things people say to you in particular so I'm very sensitive to the fact that um you know people it's understandable that people don't know what to say to you when you're diagnosed with breast cancer but there's a chapter in the book called shit people say when you have cancer um and it's about the, the funny people funny comments that people write on your Facebook posts like oh now you can get a boob job and oh have you tried mindfulness that can cure cancer and um the reactions of jess's friends and family when she calls them on the phone yeah those things are just naturally funny as is dating so um i didn't find it particularly difficult because yeah it's just it's just a natural part of that and i don't think you can write about something like cancer or death um without peppering it with lighter sides because no one wants to read something that's sad all the way through we all need hope and we all need that uplift so yeah that's what i'm here to provide
0: yeah jess has got kind of a, a real wit about her and kind of a bit of sarcasm and when she's kind of deciding what to write in her facebook post and then like you say she gets various comments from people you know oh my aunt had cancer and this is what... and you just think god it's so i think that's what's so funny about it. it's so true to life because you can see you can see that so many people have had this experience and that's what that's what makes it so funny and I know you've said in other interviews like this is not a cancer book it's not a book about cancer and it's definitely not there's so much more to it but I do think like you said the the section which is um you know shit people say when you've got cancer do you hope that it might maybe make make people think about how they talk about the subject or speak to people that are going through cancer do you kind of hope it will open people's eyes and and maybe make them think about you know not using the word journey and all those hated words
1: yeah definitely I mean the journey thing is a bit of a joke like I kind of think when people say oh you've been on a journey it just sounds very x-factor yeah. um but you know I'm, I don't I don't um, judge anyone that says journey, but there are certain things that do really offend people in the cancer community. um We've seen it again very recently with the death of um, Dame Deborah James from bowel cancer. People saying she lost her battle with cancer. And a lot of people really hate the word battle because it suggests that that person could have done something to fight harder. And of course, you can't. It's just, you know, the treatment either works or it doesn't. And eventually, cancer sadly can kill you. Yeah, the book sort of plays softly on those things and just like looks at different different characters and and their different hatred of certain words um and yeah it's also I've just recently been diagnosed with secondary breast cancer myself and I think I'm gonna relook at some of those things and kind of educating people a little through my writing about um the things that we don't often talk about like you know death and grief and um you know, we're often afraid to talk about things. But I think the more we can talk about things like cancer and difficult subjects like death, um, the more we can all learn and the more we can, you know, just learn to live better.
0: I think your book is certainly a great starting point for conversations. And, and hopefully, maybe book clubs will, will take it on and have, and, and I'm sure there'll be book clubs that people with people that have gone through cancer or know someone that has and I think there'd be there'd be a great entry point into those conversations as well.
1: I really hope so. Yeah.
0: So moving back towards the kind of the bigger picture of, of your novel which is you know it's like to me it feels like the perfect rom-com even though it's not necessarily a traditional kind of romance story because it's much more about friendship and self-love and, and you know without using another cliched x-factor phrase finding yourself but it's definitely um to me it encapsulates like the perfect rom-com friendship obviously plays a big part in this novel we've mentioned Annabelle already who Jess meets in hospital can you talk a little bit about the friendships Jess has in her life and and how they change, really because obviously cancer shifts things a little bit and obviously growing up people having kids getting married changes things as well
1: Yeah, cancer really does change things. And I think, um, you know, I was diagnosed with breast cancer the first time on the cusp of my 30th birthday. And I've now been diagnosed with secondary breast cancer on the cusp of my 40th birthday. And that has really set me apart from my friends in terms of life stages, because when I was diagnosed at 29, my best friend was getting married. And, you know, all of all of my best friends um, pretty much got married and had babies throughout their 30s whilst I was single I'm not single anymore um but it was really difficult breast cancer or no breast cancer it can be really difficult when your friends feel like they're all peeling off and settling down and Mm -hmm. moving forward with their lives um and you're not even though I had an amazing career and I had like loads of you know I had an absolutely brilliant life but there were things that made me different from my friends and that was difficult so um yeah it's actually And I think in those situations, you you often seek someone who is perhaps in a similar boat to you. So that's what happens with Jess. She doesn't actually seek Annabelle, but she finds her happily. And, um, you know, Annabelle is someone who understands what she's going through when perhaps her best friends don't. But this is definitely a book, I think, that can appeal to everyone. Um, I really loved uh, the Dolly Alderton adaptation of Everything I Know About Love um, for the BBC, where we see, her best friend settling down with a guy, and she just feels immediately left out. And I think this book is similar in a sense that um, you get that feeling of your friends all following different paths and feeling left behind or feeling left out. And you don't really need breast cancer to be able to relate to the storyline, I hope.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think we've all gone through it. it. You know, you see, like you say, friends settling down, friends having kids, and also priorities change. It's like, there's a whole passage in the book where um, one of Jess's friends is getting married. And obviously that's so important to her, but Jess is just going through her diagnosis and, and that's, obviously Jess wants to be there for her friend, but that's another, another element to their friendship that's tested, I guess.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, But, you know, we, I think what I've come to understand in my thirties, I'm a bit older than Jess is that all of our friends are going through stuff. So those friends who are getting married and having babies and stuff, they're going through their own mm. stuff and difficulties. And just because it looks like the grass is greener, it never is. And actually those friends need us as much as we need them. And I think now that I'm I'm about to turn 40 next week, <laughs> so I'm probably a bit philosophical. <laughs> um, but yeah, just sort of realizing that, Uh, we're all in this life together and I don't know it's just wonderful really Um, you know just learning about friendships and seeing how they evolve and seeing how you can still be best friends with the same people who you were best friends with when you were 15 Mm. when you're 40 so that's
0: that's what's so nice about your novel that isn't just about finding love it is so much about friendship as well and we we haven't seen that so much maybe maybe in recent years friendship's been a, a focus of novels but it's nice to see it getting getting some light in your in your novel as well but yeah. I, there was another relationship I wanted to speak about which is Jess and her father because they have such a great relationship and I feel like when I was reading it I was like oh he's so nice like oh she was my dad and uh, not that I've got a problem with my dad but you know I just feel <laughs> like every reader's gonna want Jess's dad to be their dad when they finish reading so can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to focus on like the father-daughter relationship?
1: Yeah um, I don't really know where that came from. Um, I wanted to really make sure Jess's family life was different from my own so Jess is an only child whose mother has died Um, so therefore the dad is the main family person Um, but she's a little bit not estranged from him but she's kind of neglected him a little bit because he's been trying to call her and he's been trying to talk to her and he's grieving um, the loss of his wife just as Jess is grieving the loss of her mother. And he's not based on my own dad at all. And I've given him a Yorkshire accent, which my dad is not from Yorkshire, although he has lived there for 40 years um although one of my dad's best friends read the book and he was like oh Laura I couldn't I couldn't it just is your dad and I was like no really it's not not at all but um he obviously and I think what he meant by that was he saw the goodness Mm. of my dad which I think is fundamentally in that inside that character Jeff even though he speaks differently and he acts differently and he's probably more outwardly emotional than my own dad it's like all the stuff that my dad is like as a as a as a person as a character and in his soul is like comes through perhaps more um, more outwardly in this character so yeah I just I just wanted to to explore that a little bit and I think probably also it's a bit of an homage to my parents who you know got me through my first breast cancer diagnosis and all of my treatment and just all of my life and support of me in writing this novel. And, you know, just, just so, so important to me. So I'm so glad that that character is really strong and that everyone kind of falls in love with him a little bit.
0: That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash a And as we're talking about your parents, I have to mention at this point, your amazing podcast, life and food. And you did a special episode with your parents, which I loved so much. Hearing about your parents talk about their life and their love through food. And um, I just, and it was so fascinating to hear like, you know, they didn't used to go out for meals because that wasn't the thing. And, and I just, I'm going to link it in the show notes of this episode because I, I want everyone to listen to it because I think it's fantastic.
1: Oh, thank you, Hilary. Yeah, so Life in Food with Laura Price is a podcast where I interview different guests um, about a thing such as grief or fertility or um, love in, rela- in through a culinary lens. So we've got food and fertility, food and love, food and grief, food and motherhood, food and cancer, um and I think everyone has that connection to food and it's just really interesting to talk about all of life's different topics Mm. through the culinary lens and yeah as you said I did do a podcast episode with my parents um who just recently celebrated 50 years of marriage and I wanted to kind of find out from them where my love of food perhaps stemmed from and what food was like for them when they were growing up and how everything has changed um so yeah it was really cool to do and I'm and you know I I don't want to be afraid of publishing a podcast episode about people who are not famous because I think ordinary people are just as interesting and sometimes more interesting than famous people and we've all got a lot to say and yeah it's it was just nice to be able to interview my parents
0: yeah I really enjoyed it I don't I have loved all your episodes but there was something so lovely about it's almost felt like I was listening in to your family conversations (laughs) that was really fun As we're on the subject of food, food obviously plays a a big part in this novel as well. And I was reading parts of it, feeling so incredibly hungry. And there's lots (laughs) of mentions of donuts and things. You've got uh, your career has been centred around food. So I guess it was a natural thing to write about in this novel. How did it it come to to play a role in Jess's life?
1: Yeah, so Jess grew up in a tea rooms in Yorkshire, baking with her mum. So The Food Connection is really about her mom. Uh, so at the beginning of, and she's also been an editor of a baking magazine. Um, and in the beginning of the book, we see that she hasn't baked for quite a long time. And she's basically, because she's grieving her mum. she just doesn't feel like she can get that bag of flour out of the cupboard. So food becomes part of her healing journey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to use that word. And yeah, we just see through through the course of the book, how kind of food brings her back to life and, food for me has always been really important in terms of, um, you know, healing and just as an expression of love and so many different things. And I don't think I could write a book without having food in it in some way. (laughs) I don't particularly have any relationship with donuts, although you do know I had donuts at my book launch. Um, I
0: didn't get one. So I feel very uh, (laughs)
1: very sad about that. Yeah, they went like hotcakes.
0: They did. I remember you saying, um, when we've had another conversation about your book that, your editor kept finding your characters making many, many cups of tea.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it was actually my Faber group. So I we were, it. <laughs> you and I both did the Faber Academy, didn't we? And um, yeah. I think in one an early draft of my book, um, my Faber Academy colleagues pointed out that my characters did quite a lot of tea making. So, um, but that's that's fine. I love a good cup of tea. And um, as you'll find in one of my podcast episodes where my friend interviewed me, mm-hmm. um, there's nothing in life that a cup cup of tea can't, like not fix but you know soothe in some
0: way yeah again very relatable as we're on the subject of food still um there's one of the dates in the novel which is just excruciating when Jess goes on a date with um like a food influencer uh Instagram guy and uh yeah tell us a little bit about writing those dates because some of them are just like mortifying I'm hoping that (laughs) they're not all based on real life.
1: No, they're not all based on real life, but that that particular um, chapter is kind of an amalgamation of um, various different experiences in my life. So I did go on a date once where um, I, we'd had the meal at a pasta restaurant and at the end of the meal, I went to the loo and the guy ordered a brownie and when I got back from the loo he was like oh I saved you some and they were like just a few crumbs by the side of the fork. so I was like oh thank you um so that inspired that particular um date in the book but what also inspired it was I because I write about restaurants for a living I have spent a lot of time around food influences and I do take photos of my own food but there are people who also take it to an extreme getting out like portable flashes standing on a chair to do like a flat lay of the Mm. table by the time you actually eat the food it's so cold and I totally understand that because when you see these people's Instagram feeds they are just a work of art Mm. but I wanted to imagine going on a date with someone who did that on the date and who was basically just using you um to try and get like onto your magazine's Instagram feed and I just thought it would be hilarious Mm. so yeah
0: yeah it is it's brilliant it's uh just absolutely mortifying, but it is totally believable that someone would do that. Um, so do you have a favorite scene in the book that you've written?
1: That's a really difficult question, but I think probably um probably the diagnosis. So when Jess, um, when Jess goes to the hospital and is sat down and they say, Do you have anyone with you today? And it's that moment where you know the reason they're saying that is because you're about to get diagnosed with something really horrible and i i enjoyed uh recalling those details of the waiting rooms and you know just it's such a vivid vivid experience and one that i've been through for the second time uh literally 2 weeks ago and yeah i just think like and a lot of people have commented on that it, it originally was the very first chapter of the book and then in later edits i um developed more of a life and a career for Jess before that diagnosis but I think it was what originally drew in my agent um, to be interested in the book so yeah I think that's probably one of my favorite scenes even though it's one of the hardest to read perhaps. Mm -hmm.
0: I want to move on now and talk about your writing journey and basically how you got here so I read that you entered the International Literary Festival competition in Dublin to date an agent and you had I think you had a 10-minute discussion with a with an agent So can you tell us a little bit about that? And then do you have any advice for anyone that's maybe getting these network opportunities or, or how to, how to pitch your book basically? Yeah.
1: So I actually heard about date with an agent way too soon. And I didn't really know anything about getting an agent or how you get published and how the whole process works, but I applied for date with an agent and basically sent them the first, I think it was 10,000 words or something of the novel that I was writing. And, um and the agent showed interest and said this is really really good writing obviously you're not very, very far on with it and in order to get an agent you have to have written the full book mm. um so I went away for several years and I actually did the Faber Academy writing a novel course during that time and learned a lot more about getting an agent and getting a publishing deal but I think uh I, it was a really great experience to have met up with that agent in 2016 because I just learned um lot more about you know what it takes to write a novel and how the whole process works and just gave me exposure to to someone who works in the industry really early on which was very helpful and encouraging Mm. Um, I have never really entered writing competitions but I know a lot of people who do and I know a lot of people who even get publishing deals or agents that way so I think these things are always worthwhile worthwhile and they're also a way to practice your writing and get your writing out there and grow your confidence and all of these things so so that's really helpful yeah in terms of um, advice yeah I think just don't hold yourself back just go for it like you literally cannot win anything if you don't enter it so just go for it
0: Mm. like you say it's a really good way of boosting your confidence also in a way slightly validates you as a writer you know it's so it's so hard to know whether what you're doing is any good so it's quite nice to have someone confirm that it is I had a similar situation to you in that I entered the competition in 2017 and um as became was a runner-up and heard from an agent but way back then I was like I don't even know what an agent does I don't know what they're for and I wasn't ready at all. and I think sometimes maybe you do need that time where you're you're not ready and you need to kind of look back and, and and look at your work again and see how it needs to get there so tell us then how you went from that stage to getting your agent.
1: So I went away and wrote and edited and wrote and edited and wrote and edited, shared with a few trusted fellow writer friends uh, or colleagues, wrote, edited again, wrote, edited again, eventually got to a gazillionth draft, which I was ready to send off to agents. By this point, I had done the Faber Academy writing a novel course and knew like how to pitch to agents, which was really helpful. I also had like a template of a letter um to an agent which was very useful i researched the agents who were looking for the sort of book i was writing i made sure i read a book that had been published by one of those agents before i wrote to them so that i knew what i was talking about so that i could reference that book and say hey so and so i really enjoyed mm-hmm. um this book by your author um mine is similar to you know i put the comparison i actually put um Bridget Jones's diary meets the fault in our stars Um, and I've since learned that you need to put more modern references
0: yeah something Um, like in the last three years or something I was reading the other day
1: yeah so my publishers actually changed it to on the on the blurb they changed it to Dolly Alderton meets the fault in our stars for grown-ups which I think is perfect because I think it's a great book for people who enjoy Dolly Alderton's writing The Fault in Our Stars is such a great reference but obviously I didn't realize at the time that that was a YA um, book and of course this is an adult novel so um yeah that was really helpful but yeah then I pitched to the agents um I just a very small handful and heard back straight away and yeah got my agent Sophie Lambert at CNW um in 2019 I think and she's absolutely brilliant so yeah I couldn't be happier
0: And then I wanted to touch a little bit on rejection and resilience, because I know you've been quite open in discussing this and you've mentioned it in your newsletter, which I'll also link to in the show notes. And I really wanted to thank you for speaking so openly about it, because I think often writers are projecting this, you know, writing is hard and you face a lot of rejection and we do talk about it, but I think it's, it's glossed over. And I think there's this perception that once you've got your agent you're going to get a book deal immediately and it's all going to work out lovely and it's going to be easy but actually it can be really tough and I know you and I both experienced similar situations where the book went out and you had positive feedback and then it was no 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 and what I was going to ask you really was how do you carry on how do you stay resilient and keep going and think no this book you know I I know you had the support of your agent but how did you mentally kind of keep going and and not kind of crumble, I suppose?
1: Yeah, so I actually, weirdly, uh, unusually, I received um, a book deal in Germany. As soon as we went out, I just didn't get a UK deal. So that was very confusing. And I was like, well, how can HarperCollins want it in Germany if HarperCollins UK aren't yeah. interested? And it was all very confusing. And so, yeah, I wrote this book. Um, the uh, newsletter post recently about how to cope with rejection as a writer and my my main tips were first of all like feel it you know let yourself be sad cry obviously you're gonna you cry copiously about it and just just feel it like don't start doing something straight away because you just you won't be you can't write when you're you know when the grief is so fresh and you're so upset and frustrated and um yeah you, you can't see the faults in your book at that point Then I think um, the good thing about publishing is that people actually send you constructive criticism, so they will come back and say, we really liked your writing, but we weren't sure about the character, or we really liked the character, but we weren't sure about the plot, Um, and they'll give you specifics, and once you've got over that crying period, go through the feedback with a fine-tooth comb, really try and pick out what are the common themes that people said about it that you could change, Um, and then Listen to that feedback, and you know, take some time to actually start writing it again, or you know, making making those edits with your agent, or if you don't have an agent, you know, with a writing group, which I highly recommend, or you know, friends who are writers, not just ordinary friends, because ordinary friends might just tell you it's brilliant, and that's not very yeah. helpful. Yeah. And then when you've rewritten it and rewritten it and rewritten it, take a pause this is the hardest bit and this is the bit that I got the most feedback on that newsletter post um because people just find it really hard to not just fire off the email straight away when they think that they've done it and they they've got a brilliant new edit um so if you can um just close the file in your laptop for a few months if you can or at least a few weeks just properly give it time to breathe then go back to it with fresh eyes, and that's when you'll really be able to see it and really be able to understand what's good and what's not so good about it. And then, when you're finally ready to to go back out to um, agents or publishers, whatever stage you're at, just don't lose the self belief. You know, like this is your thing. This is so important to you and I'm sure everyone who listens to your brilliant podcast Chloe is invested in the publishing industry in some way and there will be probably a lot of writers who listen to your podcast thinking I really want to be like these writers and I'm going to get my book published and you know the likelihood is that you're all brilliant writers you've either got and I know Chloe I've heard you you say um recently on um, a different podcast that you're really like me actually which is that you're, you're, you you're th- you think you're a really good writer but you don't necessarily um have loads of ideas yeah. and I'm exactly the same and I bet you there are lots of people who listen to this podcast who are brilliant writers but don't necessarily have all the ideas mm-hmm. and there are people that are, have all the ideas but then they haven't quite honed the writing yet so obviously you've just got to be confident in the skills that you do have and know what the bits are that you've got to work on and just have confidence if you're on one of those days where you look at your writing and you're like, oh this is all bad I feel terrible and just you really hate yourself don't do the emailing that day wait until another day we all have particularly if you're a woman we all have days of the month where we feel more confident and when we feel like more self-loathing and so make sure you wait until the day when you're feeling really confident and um and then good luck
0: yeah and don't send your email with a note saying, I don't know this is any good, and it might be a bit rubbish, just out yeah. with it confident. You're you're so right about the whole some people are ideas, people, and I'm definitely not one of those people, and it really stresses me out when I hear people go, I've got 15 novel ideas, and I just don't know which one to start next. And I'm like, I'm just crying inside. And <laughs> it is hard, isn't it? And I think there's so much of writing where you're comparing yourself to other people, and whether it's in success or whether it's in technique and and The reality is it's so different for everyone. Everyone's path to publication is so different. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast, because there is no one set way of getting a book deal or getting an agent or getting a book written. You've got to work out the way that you can do it. And I think it's helpful to me to hear other people's stories and struggles because it makes me feel better about my own as well. I was wondering then if you could tell us finally final question if you're working on anything new at the moment or I know you're not a big ideas person whether you've got any kind of ideas bubbling in the background
1: yes I am working on a second novel um it's I can't really say much about it but it's uh, an idea that I had a few years ago whilst I was writing single bald female um and have been sort of itching to write for quite a long time um I don't know everything that's going to happen but it's definitely going to be for readers who enjoy single ball female and who enjoy uh, the same authors I enjoy it's a sort of realistic modern women in their 20s 30s 40s kind of people who enjoy Dolly Alderson and Holly Bourne and Anna Hope and those sorts of things so I'm going to be writing along the same lines
0: well I'm really looking forward to reading it Laura and thank you so much for talking with me today thank you so much Chloe it's been a pleasure That was Laura Price talking about her contemporary fiction debut, Single Bald Female, which is out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or if you've subscribed already it would be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.